It's May 25th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science and technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We'll start the hour with the local tech calendar with two guests here to tell us about upcoming events. Mike Shanahan from Bishop Museum is back to tell us about a new planetarium show and exhibit, the planetarium show called Eyes on Island Earth. Then our good friend Forrest Frizzell is here from the Purple Maya Foundation to tell us about the Purple Prize and Saturday's launch. And finally, we'll talk to Robbie Melton from the High Tech Development Corporation and Louis Salaveria from DBID. And we'll talk about where the tech agenda stands following the 2016 legislative session. What was accomplished and what lies ahead. And of course, we always welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation. You can contact us by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. And of course, we want to do do, do a quick mention mm-hmm. Wet where Wednesday is going on today at uh, 6 o'clock. So... You know, stick around the radio, listen to the show, and then after the show's done, you can head over to this place called Beer Lab. And, of course, that sounds pretty enticing to me, but I think the topic is pretty interesting as well. Yes, it's cyber infrastructure and water sustainability, and the featured speaker will be Gwen Jacobs, friend of Bert's, Director of Infrastructure and Information Technology over at the University of Hawaii. And they're going to be talking about what UH is doing with big data and scientific discoveries. Again, you don't want to sit in traffic today? Then stick around in town. It's at Beer Lab Hawaii. I want to check that place out. It's at the corner of University and uh, King Street, right near Puck's Alley. And uh, again, that's at 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Wetware Wednesday for this month. Sounds good. And I'll leave, I'll be heading over there as well. And of course, moving on to the weekend, we wanted to welcome Mike Shanahan from the Bishop Museum, and he's here to tell us about the new Eyes on Island Earth show. Mike, welcome to B- uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Great to be here as always, everybody. Welcome back. Now, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on at the, at the museum. Why don't, I mean, why don't you start off with the, with the new planetarium show? So uh, this uh, weekend, this coming Saturday, mm-hmm. we uh, are debuting a new exhibit about NASA Earth System Science, and also our planetarium show is now in its final form. And so as a backstory on this, so NASA's main way of getting content to science museums and planetariums is what's called the Competitive Program for Science Museums and Planetariums. And we received one of these awards in 2012, and we're just ending it now. It'll be done in about two months. And a whole series of products about NASA Earth system science have come out of it, including the exhibit that's debuting this coming Saturday, Mm -hmm. the 28th of May, and also the planetarium show that's been fine-tuned and is now in its final form. Now, give the, us a, oh, yeah, give us an example. Like, what is going to be shown in the planetarium show? So, the planetarium show is immersive, full dome video. The grant was largely f- aimed at kids in grades three to five, but we wanted the product, like all museum products, to work for all ages. Mm-hmm. So, you actually have this kind of fanciful show where you have a talking satellite talking to a scientist here in Hawaii, where they discover ways in which NASA observes the Earth and also the Hawaiian Islands and helps us to understand the environment better. Mm -hmm. Now, in the planetarium, you have the um, science on a sphere. Is that incorporated into this uh, presentation? I think that's one of the reasons why we got the grant. Great question. The thing is, we have NOAA's science on a sphere, which is just outside the planetarium. You wait for the planetarium by waiting in a line around the sphere. So, it's an ideal circumstance to test out how the two mediums can enforce each other. So the show begins with a brief prelude on science on a sphere and then goes into the planetarium. The planetarium itself is in two parts. There's immersive video 
And then we're very committed to doing live programming. So there's a live break where we teach the audience how they can actually go out and look at satellites in the nighttime sky. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, science on a sphere, I mean, you actually have a sphere that's kind of illuminated and there is a projection system that gives it sort of life in terms of the show that it's projecting on that sphere itself. So it's actually the same technology we use inside the planetarium. Mm-hmm. It's full dome technology, but in this case, it's four projectors covering a six-foot diameter globe mm-hmm. as opposed to the two projectors inside the planetarium covering the, the dome of the planetarium. But the same basic idea and very vivid, clear images of the Earth. And so we set up the show on the sphere beforehand and then head into the planetarium. Mm-hmm. And then the sphere is in the center of a room. That's the planetarium lobby. And that's where our new exhibit, NASA's Earth Observing Mission, opens on this coming Saturday. So all the panels around the wall, they're d- devoted to a specific exhibit. Now, I used to be a, a regular visitor. My kids were younger. I come by when I can still. And the planetarium wall had... Rel- you know, relatively straightforward sort of astronomy panels, but I didn't ever think of it as sort of a rotating exhibit space the same way, say, the uh, the main hall outside uh, the next building over would be. So is that what this is this is doing? Yeah, so the NOAA grant that funded the installation of the sphere 10 years ago also funded a climate change exhibit. We were pretty cutting edge for 10 years ago to do mm. a climate change exhibit, mm-hmm. very common now in museums. And so this is replacing that exhibit with an exhibit talking about NASA's satellites and how they observe the Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know... I, ha- I got to admit, I'm kind of a fa- fan of the work of Richard Wagner, his idea of a complete artwork. We have a kind of a complete education experience. You get the planetarium show, the sphere, and the exhibit all talking about NASA or science. Now, you know, when you are in line, ready to go inside the planetarium, I got to admit, I mean, I'm, I'm all excited about going inside the planetarium, and I would spend less time really kind of focusing on the, you know, on the spheres. I mean, how do you get people to really spend some time with the spheres? Because it's a story in and of itself. Yeah, very insightful comment, because that is one of the challenges, is that sometimes getting folks to even become aware of the fact that they're doing a little presentation, they're waiting for the main event, Mm -hmm, the planetarium mm -hmm, experience. mm -hmm. But if we let everyone know that there's a pre-show that's going to last about five minutes and then use the sphere to show what it does best in terms of demonstrating, for example, how a satellite builds up strips of Earth into a full view of the planet, and uh, then let them know that their dessert... After the introduction will be to go into this very nice planetarium. That works well. But we are still testing out the the medium because it's great to see the science atmosphere reinforce the planetarium. Mm -hmm. But they are different experiences, and you you have to kind of manage expectations and let the audience know the show is beginning because our – SOS Theater is in the middle of a major lobby with people going through. So you have to kind of manage the Mm -hmm. audience to make them realize there's a show that's beginning already to get them settled down and focused on the globe. Mm -hmm. So this uh, this presentation inside that includes the immersive video and other information on NASA science, um, you said that it's going to be in its final form and we're going to see it um, this weekend, beginning this weekend. What does that mean? I mean, how how malleable and adjusting are you with these programs right up until you debut them to the public? Uh, boy, you guys asked the best questions. So this is a lot of, historically in the planetarium field, some of us have the I'm a genius, dang it, attitude. And I really like to get audience feedback and fine-tune our programming. So often, because we love what we're doing so much, we, the creators of these shows, often drowned the audience in too much information. And we've been fine-tuning a lot to make sure it's the right amount of information mm-hmm. structured in a way that really allows folks to follow the points that you're making. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to get overwhelmed because they're already surrounded by this immersive image. Now, Mike, I love having you on the show because, uh, you know, someone who 
thinks, lives, breathes planetariums for decades and really loves what you do. Um, when we last had you on, you were talking about some really more popular culture sort of programs with uh, the Grateful Dead or U2 and concerts being yeah. projected on the screen. Are those still ongoing? What are some of the other things that are happening at the planetarium in addition to this NASA exhibit? Well, we, uh, over the holiday season, October through November, uh, through December of last year, brought in laser shows, both mm. evening rock shows and matinees. And overall, our feeling was it was quite successful, uh, especially Laser Zeppelin was actually the number one hit, <laughs> uh, followed by Dark Side of the Moon. And there's a delightful Christmas laser show that did really well. So my feeling is we'll probably go ahead and bring it back on a regular basis as a holiday experience. Mm -hmm. And then we'll explore the possibility down the road of maybe eventually buying a permanent system that would have more bells and whistles like Mm -hmm. fog effects. So while this um, NASA exhibit is happening, are you doing your regular series of shows, uh, planetarium shows? Yeah. So I should mention the NASA exhibit uh, is there permanently and it's there whenever the museum is open, nine to five every day. And then we have five shows during the day that... Eisen Island Earth, the one related to NASA, is at 3.30. Mm. All of our shows are included in museum admission. You just go and wait for the show you want to see. But we also have the Little Kids Show in my backyard, which is ideal songs and video at 11. The Sky Tonight at 11.30 and 2.30. And then our signature show, which is also grant-funded, uh, the Wayfinders, which debuted in 2013 and was done in partnership with the Apologies and Boise Society mm-hmm. and filmed Right, like the same day they left for their worldwide sale. Mm-hmm. So still mm-hmm. very relevant to all the wonderful things that PBS is doing. And I, I, I understand you also have an augmented reality sandbox. Yes, so it'll be an augmented reality sandbox. It'll be one of the displays. Will be So this is very – our exhibit guys are amazing. We've just had one of the best exhibit teams in the world. And they didn't want it to be an interactive NASA exhibit where interactive meant push a button and hear a video. Uh-huh. So every one of the components of the exhibit has a – genuinely interactive piece, like a sandbox where you can create a landscape and then video project, say, water flowing Mm -hmm, over the mm -hmm, sandbox. mm -hmm. We have the classic gravity well to demonstrate the fact that as you roll a ball in this gravity well, objects far from the center of the source of gravity move more slowly, and then they speed up as Mm -hmm. they get in close, much as satellites that are in low orbit go much more quickly around the Earth than those in high Earth orbit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's an infrared camera, another very popular thing to have in, in science museum displays. Uh, so lots of fun interactive stuff, genuine like science center type interactive stuff with also great video and great uh, interpretive materials mm-hmm. at the exhibit. Well, this sounds great. Everything picks up uh, this weekend. If somebody wanted to look up, find more information on the program, where should they go? Just go to bishopmuseum.org. And uh, check out the NASA exhibit. Also, this is the final weekend for our exhibit, Sweet, A Tasty Journey, our candy exhibit. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, we are yeah. all th- – <laughs> the best thing about Bishop Museum is the incredible variety of what it has to offer. So you can catch the last weekend of the Sweet Candy Show and the first weekend of our permanent NASA exhibit. That's great. Fantastic. I've been I've been catching the Snapchats of uh, the candy show, and uh, you know it's very uh, mouth-watering. Well, thanks, Mike, for joining us. Anytime. And, anytime. of course uh, – Next up, we have Forrest Frizzell, and he's from Purple Maya Foundation, and he's here to tell us about the upcoming Purple Prize. I keep thinking Purple Haze, but it's Purple Prize. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Forrest. Mahalo, gang. It's so great to be back. It's yeah. always good to see you. Now, um, the Purple Maya Foundation uh, is a great organization, and I have to have to uh, concede that mm-hmm. my children have participate in some of these wonderful programs, a wonderful melding of Native Hawaiian culture and technology. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with Purple Maya Foundation, perhaps you could bring them up to speed. Yes, great. And yeah, thank you for attending our workshops. We always like to see you there. 
Uh, so we we looked out into the landscape and we saw that there was um, a void of technology training for students that were attending uh, charter schools and DOE, um, and, and we saw this digital divide that was kind of worrisome for us. So um, we looked at at how could we solve that, and and we wanted to go into specific neighborhoods where our local kids, predominantly Native Hawaiian Polynesian kids, were living, and and kind of with this idea that they probably weren't getting access to technology training, and so we came up with a curriculum that um, is pr- it's programming, it's logic, it's circuitry, and and so that's all fine and well, but wrapped around that is really this idea of ike based. Uh, learning and, um, and EK being knowledge. like intrinsic knowledge, uh-huh. right? And and so really honoring the technology, the science and technology that's been here for centuries. And we think by doing it in this manner, um, the kids are going to see themselves in this technology and be more apt to want to pursue STEM education. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the uh, you know you've had a number of train uh, classes, workshops, seminars. But this this particular weekend is something different, something special. And give me give us a sense of what would happen if somebody were to attend Purple Prize. Right. So you know the the inspiration from this comes from the interaction with these students. And and so right now we're in um, three schools. We're we're in Palolo, um, we're in Jarrett Intermediate in Palolo Valley. Mm-hmm. We're in Stevenson in Waianae, and we're in Kamaile in Nanakuli. And we just wrapped up a pilot program in Maui with an organization called Hui Malama Learning Center. And the stories that have come out of these engagements where kids who technology, especially coding, was nowhere, even anywhere mm-hmm. near their, their thought process. And through through this, we have kids telling us, I want to be a developer. This is what I want to do, making video games, making their first websites. And and so we thought, well, how can we kind of take this a step further? And and that's how we came up with the the Purple Prize, and it's largely based on the idea. If you're familiar with the X Prize, mm-hmm. so making things bold and audacious, and and trying to solve really large problems, um, but again, doing so under the guise of um, let's do this so that we're we're culturally aware, and um, again, paying homage to to what's here and what's been here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you describe it like the X Prize, big audacious thinking, a competition to achieve something. Is there a overarching goal like getting to the moon, or is it pretty wide open and it's provided it meets sort of these ideals that you've set forward? Yeah, exactly. So the the idea is to actually connect communities, and in this case, it's the technology folks, so makers, coders, developers, programmers. And, and connect them with folks that are cultural practitioners that are doing Aina-based work because oftentimes these communities are not interacting with each other and they don't know each other. And and so we think we, we pull them together and we can become audacious and we could we could reach out and and and, and not so much look at, at at solving the consumer problems, but solving um, doing healing and, and really community-based work. Mm-hmm. Now Typically, when you go to a you know weekend event, and maybe you know it's more than a weekend, so I want you to explain that. But when you go to an event and it gets launched, there are some resources that people might be able to take advantage of and start to leverage as their toolkit to develop this idea. What are some of those resources that you might be providing? Right. So you know we we were very purposeful about the way we set up the agenda for Saturday, and the, the very first thing that we're going to do is actually 
we're going to get dirty. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to pull everybody into the lo'i and we're going to work and we're going to we're going to do that for about an hour and a half and and we think that through that we can start to break down some barriers. We can we can start to create these relationships. Um, and then we'll move into a format where we're doing we'll have a little bit of keynote, we'll do some qu- questions and answering. Um, and then we're going to actually pull a page out of your book, Bert, and we're going to do um, kind of an unconference style uh, workshop. Mm-hmm. For we'll do that for a couple hours. And I mean, the, again, the idea is to is to pull um, pull the crowd. What are they thinking? What's on their mind? And because um, we don't we don't want to necessarily lead the thought process through that. We want that to come from the people that are participating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelsey Amos, one of the organizers, one of your fantastic instructors, instructors, she's here in the studio as well. Um, I know that. She gave an idea, one of the possible ideas. And I think when people are trying to wrap their mind about what could they work on as part of the Propo Prize, they might need an example. Could you share that? Yeah, we've, we have a couple. Um, you know, one of them is, was based around the moon calendar. So there's been a lot of work that's been done to understand the Hawaiian moon calendar. And it's, some of it sits out there. It's documented. Some of it's in people's minds. A lot of it is in the Hawaiian newspapers. So what if we were able to maybe, to maybe create an app where mm-hmm. people could be very interactive with this, um, start to uh, jot down what they're seeing on a daily basis from an environmental standpoint, but even more um, also, how are you feeling on that day? And how does that align with what's happening with the moon calendar? And looking at um, trends over time. And so it's, it's things like that. Now, that, that sounds great. And I, I am excited and would love to see the progress of any, let's say, prototype that might come out of this weekend. But as we all both know, the prototype is not the end game, right? I mean, so what is it that you would like to see post this weekend? So that so that's a great question. We it, generally, and, and we're refraining from really calling this a hackathon because that's not what it is. Generally, those are those code contests last twenty four, forty eight hours, and then it's it's completed. We're actually allowing the whole summer to mm-hmm, work on this. Mm-hmm. And we haven't set the final demo day date, but we're looking at towards the end of summer before school starts because we want students to participate. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that something is created that can be brought to market. And, and that will be part of the criteria is, is this something that, that will be useful, used and useful? Now, do you have to be at this weekend event in order to be a part of the process that gets you to this demo day? Absolutely not. Um, so, so there will be other workshops that might be uh, available for people to participate in. Other workshops, and um, as an organization, we're, we're making ourselves available to connect with people who can't make it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they can. Um, the event is, again, this Saturday, the launch day over at the uh, Center for Hawaiian Studies at the University of Hawaii. If somebody wanted more information on the program about the event, but as, as well as the big idea, where can they go? Uh, purpleprize.com. That is easy to remember. Purple Prize. Okay, I'm going to put that on the show notes. Please do. Thank you. Okay, Forrest, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Forrest. And of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Robbie Melton and Louis Salaveria to talk about how tech fared in this most recent legislative session. Which projects got funded and moved forward and which didn't? We, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation. Please give us a call at 941-3689, or you can reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. I rely on it because I work at home. It's my companion. It's my window on the world. 
once when it went out, when AM1380 went down those years ago, I am scarred for life and I can never let that happen again. So I will throw money at this place. I will come in and answer phones forever, as long as I can. I'm Esther Shimazu and I'm a sustaining member. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm David Gibson, author of The Complete Guide to Sound Healing. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how sound affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Robbie Melton and Louis Salaberria. Robbie is the CEO and Executive Director of the High Tech Development Corporation. Louis, meanwhile, is the Director of the Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism. And, of course, uh, you can expect all projects to get funded, so which ones made it and which ones didn't. And, of course, we want to know why. We'd love to hear your questions and comments, and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Yeah, thank you for having us. Welcome back. Well, we'll start with uh, Louis. Louis, you know, um, I want to get a sense from you prior to going into the legislative session. You know, we're all sort of... Uh, getting you know geared up and thinking what's the tech agenda, what's the economic development agenda. And so going into the session, what was it that you had in mind in terms of some of the key initiatives that you wanted to get forward? Well, it was a really exciting time going into the legislative this uh, session this year because we felt that there was a lot of momentum around what was happening in the innovation economy mm-hmm. in the state of Hawaii. We put together a package that really wanted to put a a, a commitment a state commitment around what's happening within the entrepreneurial, within the startup community, all the things about um, that's going to get us to the innovation economy and the knowledge-based economy that we want to go. And we got to the legislative session. The legislators have been extremely supportive of all of the things that uh, that we're doing. Granted, they have a very large charge in front of them. There's a multitude of different asks, but we were very happy on how the outcome came at the end of the legislative session. Mm-hmm. We got you know, about $8 million worth of additional funding for all the initiatives. And I I look forward to breaking those down. Now, Robbie, how did you feel going in? I mean, this is not your first rodeo. And (laughs) I know that, you know, you spend a lot of time at the Capitol, something I've even watched Bert work hard to do as well. And you can imagine after a certain point, you come around the corner, you can just see the legislators going, oh, they're they're, they're going to ask for something. (laughs) Nobody ever is that way with me. Great. So (laughs) So how optimistic? I mean, did you feel the same energy that Lewis mentioned coming into this legislature? Session. Um, the thing that I really liked about the legislative session this year is there are so many legislators for the innovation economy. People are really going after and are supporting the 8080 initiative and really want to see a difference in Hawaii. So that's the great thing about this legislative session. So that was really good. Again, I never uh, assume anything is going to be passed. Mm-hmm. So that's why we work very hard to talk with the legislators to make sure things get passed. 
Some so, things don't. So, Robbie, what, don't. Did, what do you think it was that uh, you felt got the legislators to understand the innovation economy more so this session than previous sessions? I mean, what was it that they were uh, perhaps educated about? So I think the 8080 initiative, a lot of them see that as a way to make a difference for our young people because mm-hmm. so many of them leave and stay on the mainland or somewhere else for jobs. And the 8080 initiative is really creating new tech and innovation jobs, creative jobs where people want to have interesting work, and they'll stay in Hawaii. And that resonates with a lot of people, especially if you're a parent. You know, Ryan's a parent. He wants to see his daughter have a good job. And so that resonates with many of the legislators. Now, for those who aren't familiar, I think we've talked about it on the show before, but the 8080 initiative is the goal of having $80,000 a year salary jobs for 80,000 people. New tech. New, new tech, tech jobs, jobs. Right, by 2030. By 2030, which yeah. is, I mean, mathematically, that is a very ambitious goal. It is. But, you know, the governor has a great initiative now with this 100% renewable by 2045 there's the 55 by 2020, which is to get 55% of the population having um, gone through um, graduation from a four-year college. So there's a lot of movement to really get new and interesting jobs here. So I think that's the, the real driver mm-hmm. now. But well, can I add something sure. to what yeah. uh, Robbie was talking about? Uh, one of the things that was very critical during this legislative session too was was the engagement of the startup community within the legislature. I was going to just ask you that, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I think in the past, uh, you know, yes, everybody is engaged, but this was this year there was a very concerted effort amongst all of everybody, and you know, not everybody agrees on everything, but I think everybody agrees that we need to move Hawaii's economy forward. Well, you know, so to that point, uh, Lewis, you know, prior sessions. During the you know the summer months and going into fall, we're asking each other. I know Robbie and I. We've talked about it. Who speaks for the tech community and this innovation economy? And a couple of years ago, we we sort of you know started to get the wheels turning. Maybe it's the uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Maybe it's others. And this year, I was pleased at the fact that uh, there were a couple of key players. I mean, uh, Carl and Sarah, mm-hmm. and also um, uh, Lauren uh, Premiano kind of rallied some people to actually do a couple of Shana, showcases. Shana from Impact Hub right, was right, uh, right, at the right, legislature right. a lot. So there know. was an actual um, active, let's say, uh, viewing of not only tech individuals, but you know they even had a little shark tank yes. thing going on, right? And and everybody walked out. It was it was a packed event. Uh, at in one of the conference rooms at, at the legislature, uh, we had legislators as the actual sharks mm-hmm. listening to how this whole process and 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 everything that's so uh, invigorating and so energizing about this uh, about this this community or this this section of our of our economy and people people get it and when you put a face to the effort you see a whole bunch mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of activity and motivation come around, especially when it comes to, to funding these types of initiatives. Right. You, can think, you can think of it uh, you know, intellectually or conceptually, mm-hmm. but when you see the faces of the people that are doing it, that definitely changes the mindset. Now, Robbie, you know, you're very busy, and uh, in many ways the HEDC does help represent the voice of the tech community, but there had been those conversations like, is there a singular voice? Is there a unified voice? The Hawaii uh, Innovation Association. Right. And, and, and prior groups. to that was a Science and Technology Council. Right. 
right. But I, I feel uh, sort of building on what Birch said is that there seemed to be more spontaneous, independent participation. Well, certainly there were some key players that were very present, but I started to see individuals, individual entrepreneurs, individual mm-hmm. uh, business people taking the time to go down to testify, submit testimony, to meet with legislators. It seemed like a, a much more diverse representation. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And so that's what we've been trying to educate all our technology companies is that it's not just submitting written testimony, but you need to be physically down there to talk with them. So we encourage them to visit all their legislators there. So there was a group of people, the Startup Paradise group, that Mm -hmm. actually physically went down there. But then we would call individual companies who wanted to make a difference, and they would take the time to go down there individually. And that's the key, is having companies go down so that they can see those companies and know that they really exist. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're doing, and and really, here's mm-hmm. what our challenges are. Yes, yes, and they uh, the legislature gets it, and they put a name to the face. And one of the things that we we change the the, the dynamic or the narrative around these things is to really put stories behind this innovation movement. And when we're talking about, you know, whether it's a program that's going through the energy accelerator, for example, I I always use the example of of Scott Cooney and Pono Home mm-hmm. started Fifth Venture. Fifth, fifth time doing something, finally came up with an idea that's working through and then just signed a large contract. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And so they get it now. That now they're seeing that, okay, this, this process is working. It's this, this new wave of, of how the economy, how the knowledge-based economy is really moving through, through Hawaii's ecosystem. It's real. Mm-hmm. And now you're starting to see the yeah, effort. there's a, there's been a couple of companies that came out of uh, Energy Accelerator. Ibis is also Ibis one is another that's getting one. a lot use, of attention. I use Ibis as that, right. and, th- and the fact that they went in and engaged with the University of Hawaii and putting in their products within the uh, Windward Community College and engaging the uh, the student population in there too as well to actually start using their technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this stuff, it permeates. It's so- it's. Absolutely. I mean, viral. I like that you talked about stories because a lot of times people think that the main ammunition for testimony for shifting public policy is numbers. And there's certainly going to be ongoing, and we've covered it on this show, efforts to quantify the level of success of our startup and innovation community, the number of jobs generated. And I'm, I'm imagining we're going to hear some of those numbers as well here. But it's also, I think, what you're what we're stressing here is kind of the personal side, the human mm-hmm. side, that um, this is an, someone who tried five times and failed and that's very common in this you know this new economy and is now finding traction that it takes time it takes patience and it takes support yes absolutely and you know like they say if if you can't win if you can't win with facts win with emotion and we did a lot of that this year so and but we also provided the facts we had a study a third party study that was commissioned by HSDC talking about the innovation economy in the state of Hawaii mm-hmm. which showed that for every dollar that the state invested in the innovation economy it was leveraged 12 times over that's and, the that's something that the Uhiro also yes. put up some dashboards on that, right? and that was the Uhiro study that uh, that was commissioned mm-hmm. that helped to validate some of the things that we're talking about it created 158 jobs over the past 5 years mm-hmm. and these things now now you start to put a little bit of meat to the bone and we're looking at a 5 year process that uh, that has been engaged and and started over, and now you're starting to see the fruits of that labor really kind of come out in the community. Now, Robbie, in previous years, there was the sort of tech showcase where all the tech companies, you invited them over, they would line up the hallways at the Capitol with tables and demonstrations about their, you know, their latest, uh, let's say, project or, or a business venture. But that wasn't done this past year. Uh, 
I mean, any any let's say comparisons on on whether that was successful or not, and 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 is it better to do what we did this year? So. In the, in the past years, that was called Entrepreneur Day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it was a variety. It wasn't just tech. It was every kind of entrepreneur you could ever imagine. And so I think it kind of got watered down because it's overwhelming. It's during legislative session. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't really – you see the stories and you see the people, but you don't understand the impact. So I think the one-on-ones are better. What we do at HDDC is we do an innovation crawl every December. So we invite legislators to come up – tour the incubator, meet the companies. They have one-on-one time, so they can spend a lot of time exploring the different types of technologies that we have, you know, in our incubator. So I think that provides them a little bit more information than having this big fair that's overwhelming. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, if you have a whole bunch of tables, it's it behooves the legislator to go and kind of find it out for themselves. But if individuals actually go to the legislator and tell them what they do and maybe even at a short tank where you know there there is there's a participation uh, on their part to see what goes on there's a there's a more direct correlation to the knowledge that they get as a result of that uh, that event right and you can hear the pain points so one of our companies is Hawaii Fish mm-hmm. and they've received SBIR matching grant funding from us, and when you hear he's been working at this for 25 years, and he's now getting traction. Alan Wong is one of his biggest, you know, purchasers of his fish. But then he can tell the legislators, you know, we're doing this project, but these are some of the hurdles we have, so that they understand that for us to help business, we've got to change mm-hmm. some things. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Robbie Melton from the High Tech Development Corporation at HTDC and Louis Salaveria of DBED about the tech representation and success and support and certainly the plan forward at after the last legislative session. If you've got a question or a comment, we welcome your call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And we're also checking Twitter because we're obsessive about that. Now, um, <laughs> let's get into some of the success Successful funding. I mean, there's a number of bills, as Lewis said, there's various asks, and legislators have a great task to weigh all the different interests. And when it comes down to it, it's the funding that determines whether a program is really getting that support or not. Mm-hmm. And this last session, I think one of the largest and perhaps at, at the outset seemed one of the more unlikely was the the need or the the push to complete the sandbox, the entrepreneurial yes. sandbox. Yes. So, it, this was actually kind of follow-on funding, but it was still a big number. Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, I don't want to take away uh, from Robbie because it is part of HTDC. Mm-hmm. But uh, but let me just go ahead and, and start by saying that the $3 million, we can't thank the legislature, you know, Senator Dela Cruz, Representative Yamashita, with what they did when they put together the CIP budget and this $3 million. We knew that it was a, it was a significant ask, but... We talked to them. We told them about what this represented, and it really does represent the physical manifestation of what we're trying to do with the innovation economy in the mm-hmm, state of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. The fact that somebody can go to this place and point and basically say, you know what, innovation is happening right there. That's that's huge, and, and, and we're really, really excited about it. So I'll let Robbie talk a little bit more because it is her project. <laughs> yeah, so we are very excited and very thankful because – there are so many competing other projects that wanted uh, CIP funding. CIP being capital Cap- improvement. improvement. Yeah, capital improvement projects. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, Robbie, th- and this was also a sort of a little different because 
you can rally the the um, community to go in and support a bill, but you really were successful at getting the community to rally around a budget line item. Yes. Yeah, so so yeah, there's there's no bill for CIP right. funding, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. but everybody understands the importance of the sandbox. It will probably be the first, maybe in the whole country, of an innovation recreation center where people come and play and learn how to make things. Mm -hmm. There'll be a makery in there. There'll be a digital media studio in there. There'll be a production studio. So you can learn how to make all different kinds of things, whether it's digital or physical. And then we'll have collaboration space and co-working space in there as well. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be really good. And it's for all ages. It's not for companies, but you could be four years old and 98 years old. And it's part of a larger there, – there was additional funding, correct? This was, in fact, to match funding? Yes, correct? exactly. So we received um, $3 million from the U.S. Uh, Economic Development Authority. Thank you, Gail Fujita. Yes, definitely You're thank gonna, Gail for that. Give a shout out for that. Yes, to Gail thank that you one. very much. And we also got funding from the private sector, which was part of the reason we got the federal funding. And that's coming from Fisher, Hawaii, and EK. As, as, as tenants, as, I would imagine. No, not as tenants, no. just as a match. So they're, they're looking um, to participate in the, in the sandbox because, one, as you know, Fisher, Hawaii has a big educational component. And innovation is all about education and learning new things. And then EK is, of course, one of the largest tech companies we have in Hawaii. They've spun out their own startup companies. They have people who can mentor new um, new entrepreneurs. So there's a big, good fit for both of those organizations. Well, you know, I can definitely see the fit where Fisher comes in because, you know, all the design thinking workshops, you got to have stickies, right? A couple million stacks. Yeah, of I, think, <laughs> I think that really <laughs> that, that really invigorated the whole stickies uh, uh, need. But so I, it makes sense for, you know, so for Fisher to be, to be there. So in terms of the entrepreneurial sandbox, I mean, it's more than just a, a co-working space, right? I mean, Oh, definitely. And then it's not something, well, you can explain this, but it's not something that HTDC is necessarily necessarily going to be the manager of, right? I mean, you're looking at uh, others to participate, right. whether it's a makery or whether it's mm-hmm. co-working or whether it's, you know, some aspect of, of, let's say, digital media. You're looking at the private sector to help do Oh, that, of right? course, definitely. So for the digital media studio, we're actually working with DBED's Creative Industries Division mm-hmm. to manage Georgia that. Skinner. So yeah, Georgia Skinner, she's done a fantastic job with her accelerated programs, her creative lab programs. So we see her organization running the educational components out of that um, space there. And then with the makery, we hope to engage the private sector. There are a number of makeries already here in Honolulu that we hope to bring in to either manage that space um, and and just develop the programming for it. Well, that's an important note, and I think that whether it was a entrepreneurial sandbox like this facility, or even in previous years when there were uh, there were efforts to put maker spaces in libraries, mm-hmm. one of the questions that always came up is: as well, you have independent maker spaces, independent co working spaces, the Box Jelly, the Impact Hub, or Proto Hub, and a lot of people. In fact, I think one of the few pieces of testimony against it was why is the HTDC or these organizations competing with the private mm-hmm. sector? But, Lewis, the idea is, you know, you have resources and ability to make something happen that a, uh, a private company would probably take years to achieve, and you want to bring them into this process. Absolutely. We think it's we think it's a symbi- symbiotic relationship that exists between the private sector as well as government going forward. The government is recognizes that 
you know, it shouldn't compete with the private sector in, in, in all of these things, but we know we can be complementary to it. And that's why when you look at the people that testified it, you know, the 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 makery spaces and the co-working spaces, they actually supported the entrepreneur sandbox. And also in, in many ways, you know, going back to the beginning, we were very strategic around how to approach this. We did, both Robbie and I sat down with the editorial board of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the newspaper, and we talked about what this innovation block represents for us going forward. So, it, you know, this, this whole effort, and, and they recognized it too as well, that this, this idea shows a significant amount of promise. Mm-hmm. And it is phase one. This is phase one of a multi-phase project to create an entire innovation cluster within the within the community in in the urban core within Kakako. Now that's great, and I want to hear a little bit more about you know when this is all going to start, and of course some of the other things that got funded. We want to hold that thought for right now. We want we want to take a quick break, and uh, we'll continue our conversation with both Robbie Milton and Louis Salaveria about the tech agenda for the 2016 post legislative session. We of course would welcome your comments as well. You can call nine four one three six eight nine or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. You were listening to Bite Marks Cafe. On the next On Being, Rebecca Solnit. She's one of our great chroniclers of redemptive change inside histories we chart merely as disasters. I'm interested in what gives people that strength. You know, what stories, what questions, what memories, what conversations, what senses of themselves and the world around them. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. <laughs> and I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Robbie Melton and Louis Salaveria about tech initiatives that were supported in the 2017 fiscal year. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, we're also monitoring Twitter. And we want to do share this message, message that Shiloh sent in. And he says <laughs> that you, Louis Salaveria is so dreamy. And, you know. <laughs> Well, he's not oh, only Shiloh. dreamy to hear, but he's very dreamy to look at. Hey, you know, we do want to encourage the Twitter and the engagement of our listenership. So thank you again, Shiloh, for that feedback. Now, right before, Robbie is good to look I at. Was just gonna <laughs> say about me. Uh, I, I am blushing. Very now, rarely now, now, does Robbie, a Filipino Robbie, blush. Robbie, you know, we wanted to uh, um, follow up a little bit more about the uh, entrepreneur sandbox, and and that is now that you got your three million, give, give us an idea as to the timetable. Okay. So we are actually in the RFP process right now to look at getting a, a design and construction person or a company on board. Once that takes place, we hope to go into construction in 2017, early 2017. They estimate that they can build it because it's only a two-story building, 13,500 square feet, can be done in 10 months. 
And where exactly is this going to be? So it's going to be across the street from Jabson. So what's okay. currently called Lot C in the Kaka'ako district. That so it's going to be Malka, open, Malka of Jabson? Ma- Ma- Malka? No, no, it's, Ma- it's Eva. 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 Oh, it's on the same. It's on the Mackay side. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So right I'll, across I'll there. So yeah. So we're very excited about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Louis, uh, there are some other things that got funded. I mean, tell us a little bit about the accelerator and the funding that was provided to high growth. I know it wasn't quite as much as we had hoped for. I think we were targeting like five million, but only a million. So tell us a little bit about the story behind that. Well, you know, we were targeting five million, and and, and it was to go down this path of creating a a long term commitment uh, by the state in order to to uh, shore up the or continue to shore up the innovation economy that we're trying to build. And granted, that was a very, very big ask. Uh, one million is that is not chump change. Mm-hmm. It is one million dollars that will con- allow us to continue to move forward to create you know, additional accelerator programs, continue to enhance the accelerator programs that we have right now. Uh, so, you know, it, it came down to the end. I was actually really, really excited. There's a there's a whole story around this whole thing where we had actually thought that they had closed the budget. I, in fact, I believe there was an article written by one of our <laughs> local media saying, nope, the money didn't happen. And it was like an 11th hour. It reappeared. It, you know, uh, and, you know, through a lot of, uh, of you know, uh, scuffed knees and begging, <laughs> and, uh, begging and pleading, you know, uh, the legislature was able to find, uh, and, you know, again, thank you and Props to Representative Luke and Senator Takuda mm-hmm. uh, to be able to find the money in order to uh, continue the program and the good work that's being done uh, within the high growth program. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not common for the for them to sort of go back to that after they essentially closed the books. It it is not uncommon. They made me sit in the uh, the, the chair seat. of honor actually uh, <laughs> the hot seat the really. hot seat and and I didn't know what was happening and and when they when they came out and they announced it. Um, you know, you guys would have, if you could have only saw the grin on my face uh, of actually being able to get that done. And, you know, in, in no, it was, you know, uh, through a lot of efforts from a lot of people uh, and just getting the message out, really getting the message out on, on how important this is, not for us, but really on what we're trying to do for the next generation and for what we believe that the economy of Hawaii is going towards. Now, Louis, I'm going to ask you uh, something and something that you're going to have to do uh, momentarily. I don't know if you'll be pleased to, to do this, but I want you to put the Carl Fuchs hat on okay. and try to answer the question, what would you be doing with that million dollars in high growth? What would I be doing? <laughs> I would really be engaging and actually starting up uh, an, exa- an accelerator around, uh, around aerospace and robotics and UAVs. I think that there's a huge potential within that particular area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Hawaii being identified as one of the areas, uh, one of the six ar- or four areas in the, the FAA, nation, the FAA test areas, tester yeah. areas, I think that there's major competitive advantage for Hawaii to go into that area and really engage and bring in the best and brightest and bring in some entrepreneurs and really create something that is going to be uniquely created, developed, and grown in the state of Hawaii. Now, Robbie, you've seen how the past funding has been dis- deployed. So for those unfamiliar, what would you say are some of the success stories of the of the funding of that program? Of the... The high, the high growth... The uh, high growth yeah. program? Um, I think the accelerators have really um, made a difference in Hawaii. It's allowed people to get some additional funding. It's allowed them to get the coaching that Hawaii companies desperately need. I think coming in from... Being in another state where there's a lot of entrepreneurship, 
a lot of the Hawaii companies need the education. They need the hand-holding to really prove themselves worthy of, of outside funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these accelerators, I mean, we, we, we've had them on the show frequently. You, we were talking about the, like the blue startups folks, yep. uh, Accelerate UH. Yeah. Uh, Recognized by nationally, right? Blue right, startups right. is one of the best startups in the nation, right? So, so there, there's some money perhaps in that million dollars that might get allocated toward another accelerator, Sure, sure. I, we're taking a look right now to see, you know, how to appropriately allocate uh, this uh, million dollars. Granted, you know, we went in and we asked for five million. It's not chump change. It could. Uh, we we just need to take a look and see how to appropriately allocate these things. But we do want to get into new things where this where we see the state has the competitive advantage mm-hmm, in. Right. Mm-hmm. Agriculture is another area that we're looking at too, as well. The health sciences we've been engaged with too, as well. So there's a lot of need and. You know, we hope that this first million dollars would be just the first in in a in a, in a continuing series of ongoing appropriations mm-hmm. to this. Now, one of the other programs that got funded, we mentioned briefly, was the Impact Hub. Um, yes. uh, Robbie, can you speak to that? Yes, yeah, sure. So, as many people know, the Impact Hub is a special co-working space to really geared towards people who are interested in doing sustainability projects and creating sustainability companies. They received a grant and aid from the state legislature that will provide funding to help them ramp up, find a good location to get started. The great thing about the Impact Hub is they had a lot of programs that really met the needs of the startup community. And since they lost their space a year ago, it's been a real big hole in our community, so it'll be great to have them back in action, so mm-hmm. to speak. Now, you know, there's so much to talk about, and I, <laughs> we're kind of like, <laughs> you know, the time goes by so quickly. I do want to get a little bit of Lewis's perspective on broadband oh. before the, you know, the time is up. I want to start now. A sure. trademark Bert Lum yes. topic. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the session prior to this year, 2015, I mean, they did – Yes. Have the omnibus bill, and that was a, a bill that helped allocate twenty-five million, I think, in in, in loans, right? For in general obligate reimbursable general obligation bonds. Bonds, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was the potential funding to create a a, a fiber landing. Correct. Correct. Uh, so where are we with that? So that so that money is in existence. It, it doesn't lapse until two years from now. Actually, so what we're trying to do right now, which which we just did, so we're in an open solicitation RFP right now to help uh, develop or actually engage a structuring agent to develop a true public-private partnership in terms of what Hawaii wanted. Hawaii, in, at the end of the day, we consider cable landing stations critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know we want to make it easier for for Trans-Pacific cable providers to come and land in the state of Hawaii. And they all recognize and they've all come in and told us that, you know, one of the biggest risk issues that they have is is permitting, permitting risk right. and land costs. So if the state were to go in there, remove the permitting risk mm-hmm. and actually take on the land costs associated with that, then we should be making it easier for these people to come and land over here. I saw a graph at the um, Pacific Telecom conference this year that basically showed the growth of data in the in the Pacific uh, in in the Pacific over the next fifty years o- over the last fifty years and I think over the next twenty mm-hmm. it literally looks like a hockey stick. It took like thirty forty years to reach capacity uh, that of all of the fiber optic cable in the in the Trans Pacific right now. If you look at it, that the amount of capacity that exists in in the Pacific right now would need to be doubled every five every ten years. 
that's how that's how uh, rapid the growth of data is moving through our system right now. Mm-hmm. And if Hawaii doesn't position itself for that, we're going to be left going to be left behind. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, many major cable systems are bypassing Hawaii entirely because now the technology doesn't require it to make a stop. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the permitting and regulatory environment is one of the things that we're perhaps known for in the international development community. So, setting that out for them, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, another one of the allocations, Robbie, uh, the three mil- another three million dollars, in fact, was specifically to continue a program for um, small business manufacturing. Um, can you share us a little about? Yep. Little, tell us a little bit about that. So we actually got two million dollars for um, continuing the expansion of the Hawaii SBIR program for phase two, phase three companies. And we received a million dollars to continue the funding for the manufacturing assistance program. So the small business innovation research grants are for companies that are doing really hardcore research and development of doing like scientific or engineering products. And so funding for them is absolutely critical. And this gives us enough money to give them a larger sum of money so it makes a difference to get them into the market faster. The Manufacturing Assistance Program, we are so grateful for Senator Kai and uh, Representative Kawakami and their committees really having the foresight to, to support not only SBR, but manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So the manufacturing program is really to provide funding for expansion because we have some really incredible manufacturers here in Hawaii, but they can't export. They can't compete unless they have energy-efficient machinery, the -the state-of-the-art machinery, trained employees. And so by providing some matching funds for the companies. And it says a matching fund, so there's no free funding mm-hmm. here. There's, it's matching. This allows our uh, manufacturing industry to expand in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Now, Robbie, uh, I've seen you go out and do some presentations, and there are some other tech sort of centers that you're interested in. This might be maybe fodder for the 2017 legislative session, but I, I saw some presentation not too long ago about a geriatric tech center. Tell me about yeah. that. So we're actually very excited about that. Um, you know, Hawaii is the fastest growing aging population in the country. I wouldn't know anything about that. I kinda... <laughs> <laughs> we Nobody here would, would know anything about that. But what's amazing is not only is it the fastest growing, we're the most diverse population in the country. And the, the problem with clinical trials right now is that they're, they're – Diversity is very limited, and so and that makes a big difference when you're doing new drugs. So this is looking at building a technology park that would not only be for drug development, for medical devices, for prosthetics, any type of assisted devices to help elderly population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we're very excited about that. We have a feasibility study right mm. now that will look at the business model. So then we'll know exactly what types of technologies, how to ramp up the tech park, and really to build it so it's successful. That sounds really compelling. Now, of course, your work is never done, although a session has just wrapped. It's always what's next. Um, I imagine we talked about broadband. That would be continuing to mm-hmm. be on that priority list. But, Louis, um, what are your next areas of focus for next year? Well, Okay, one of the things that we did also get a little bit of funding, and I want to continue pushing forward, and I'd be remiss if I didn't put in a plug for Georgia and what's CID. going on. And, yeah, $100,000. Yes, $100,000 for, uh, for the Creative Lab program. And, and that 
thousand dollars is going to be leveraged with additional money coming from uh, fr- from the federal government too as well. But these areas, it's, it, you know, we really want to continue focusing on creating, you know, economic clusters around uh, significant areas where competitive advantage exists. If it's a geriatric park in a facility or a tech center in a facility that's a f- that's close to you know an existing aging population or mm-hmm. or, or close to an existing you know a medical center. If it's aerospace or an aerotech park that's in a place that may have uh, you know uh, a, a, an astronomy program or a spaceport or a you know or a UAV testing is to create and really kind of start modeling our economic development initiatives around clusters because one of the things that we notice is that when you cl- when you start clustering uh, you know uh, companies and and uh, economic development initiatives, what you do is you, you create competition and collaboration. And competition and collaboration breeds innovation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's one of the things that's really exciting about me. So if you look at some of the things that are happening with, with, with innovation and with tech or with creative industries and with aerospace and with geriatric tech park, all of these different things, we're really trying to be very focused and strategic on how we implement and do those things going forward. Broadband, I'm still super high on broadband. I mean, this is, to me... Uh, it, you know, it's going to be probably the one thing that that takes up probably a significant amount of time for you know for my for my tenure in this particular role. But you know, shoring up this particular uh, uh, project, getting through the structuring agent, and actually getting us to uh, create the cable landing stations and getting more uh, you know Trans Pacific cable landings in the state of Hawaii. You know that's gonna just open up the doors for so many other things. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And so we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep track of the broadband. We're gonna have Georgia Skinner come back on and talk about you know creative industries. And we'll probably have all of you guys come, especially before the next legislative session. And we'll kind of ramp that all up. We want to thank both of you for joining us. Robbie Melton, of course, is the CEO and of the and executive director of the High Tech Development Corporation. Of course, Louis Silveria is the director of the business. Um, Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you always, for having always us. Always love being yep. on your show. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll find out about the underwater robotics program called Mate ROV. And, of course, if you miss any edition of the podcast, you can join or you can actually listen to the podcast later on tonight on BiteMarksCafe.org. And, of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And of course, we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here is an oldie but goodie. It's China Crisis and a song called Wishful Thinking. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Yeah.